0: Welcome to Fan the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I'm always four months away from a keto six-pack, but only a little into the cauliflower macaroni and cheese. So, don't hold your breath. I'll continue to suck in my gut, Jared Hill.
1: And I am entertainment journalist and editor and all of this bigs, Travell Anderson. We've got a lot coming up on the show today for you, beautiful folks. But first and foremost, we want to welcome the newest member of the Fantai team. All right. Her name is Lorraine.
0: Wait, no, her name's not Lorraine. It's lorraine I, we have to figure out how to do it
1: we do that later why would you do that in the middle of the show
0: Lorraine what <laughs> okay I'm trying I'm trying
1: we will do that at the end of the show Listen. you get you have the entire show to figure out the inflections to do mm.
0: lorraine. <laughs> lorraine 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 I can't we'll figure it out yeah um <laughs> We also want to let well also want to let you know that we are recording this show in advance um so when you all are hearing this uh we're we've taped this a week in advance so if any crazy shit has gone down which it is want to do um we will be updating that in the next episode so it's time to get into past the popcorn
1: yes okay let's do it let's do it let's do it let's do it let's get it let's get it let's get, it. Let's get it. let it rain wow we it out wow let it rain Okay, anyway, all right, so we're going to do a pass the to popcorn today. The latest bingeable sensation comes courtesy of Netflix this go-around. It's this show called Clickbait, okay? And I got an urgent call from Jared one morning recently. Are you watching Clickbait? You got to watch Clickbait. <laughs> what is Clickbait, you might be asking. All right, I'm glad you asked. Here's the log line for the limited series. Quote, when family man Nick Brewer, 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 hold on. When family man Nick Brewer, mm. there we go, is abducted in a crime with a sinister online twist, those closest to him race to uncover who is behind it and why. This is a message for Nick's kidnapper. He is a husband. A father. A brother. He's kind, loving. And gentle. All right. It stars Zoe Kazan and the iconic Betty Gabriel, who you might remember from the no, 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 no. No, no, no. No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no.
1: Yes, the moment from get out. She's amazing in this. Um, so I finally watched clickbait, and that is the topic for I Pass the Popcorn today. So this is your spoiler alert. Fast forward if you don't want to hear our thoughts, cause they're coming in three, two, one right now. All right, go Jared.
0: Okay, so first of all, I want to fact check. Um, I called you on an evening, not on a morning. Because I was binging the series, and like I watched all of it in about two days. Or uh, I, I in two sittings, I should say. So the show is about Nick Brewer, as you said. He is abducted, but like there's this weird video that comes out about him. And if you're listening to this, you've probably already seen it, so we don't need to fully explain all of the twists in the show. But... I remember at the end of the first episode being like, now if that ain't a cliffhanger that I have to watch the second episode, I don't know what is. God damn it, like I need to see what happens next. And like, what was so fantastic about this show is each episode is told from a different person's... It's not really from their perspective, but like following a different character in the
1: story. Yeah, centered on a different character.
0: Yeah, so I loved that. But I will tell you, every episode, there were so many twists that I was like, oh my god. And I felt confident that I knew what was going on every episode until they completely threw that shit out. And I was like... Oh, my God, wait a minute. Yeah. And then we get to the finale? I'm not even going to get to the finale yet. <laughs> what was your your first, like, response? Because I called you. I called Keith Boykin. I, Keith answers the phone. And I say, Keith, stop what you're doing. And we're on FaceTime. And Keith goes, stop what I'm doing. I was like, Yes stop what you're doing, leave your office, go to the living room, and watch clickbait now. He was like, I'm just gonna drop everything. <laughs> like, we had that conversation. I was just so excited. This finale, again, I'm gonna wait to get into the finale. What was your fina- Your impression on the show?
1: he all over the place today, y'all. We gonna pray for him, it's all right.
0: I was so excited! I have, like, a whole tweet thread of me watching it. It was so good.
1: So you told me, you were like, watch the first episode. If you want to continue after the first episode, do so. Okay, that was the agreement we came to on the phone conversation. And so I watched the first episode, and you're right, that the first episode has a cliffhanger at the end. And then I recognized, because I looked at the episode titles, I recognized early on, like you said, that each episode would be to- would-, would center a different person Uh, kind of vantage if you will and so that pulled me in I was gripped from episode one even though Zoe Kazan plays that like Annoying white girl type of character that just like makes me want to throw up. Very
0: angsty. Very, I have a chip on my shoulder for a reason that I can't
1: name. All of that. It was. It was a lot of that. But then when I saw, when I recognized that Betty Gabriel plays the the wife of the the man who disappears, I was like, oh, she's pulling me in. All like, she's she was giving me everything that I needed. Um, and so shout out to her because she was the reason why I. kept watching ultimately i remember that scene in get out so vividly and how she she killed that scene and so i wanted to see what she would do now having more kind of like real estate with a character um and so that pulled me in um, and yeah, there were, there were a lot of twists and turns that made it very enjoyable, made it very kind of thriller suspense-y um, and, and makes it one of those, those shows that like everybody is talking about.
0: So now there's a couple of things that are interesting to me. Did you think at, for a while that her character, uh, Sophie, Betty, the... Um, the character played by Betty Gabriel. Did you think that Sophie was the one who was behind it or had something to do with it at any point?
1: No, I never thought that Betty killed her husband.
0: I thought that she had something to do with it because they kept playing about her being emotionless and like, well, why don't you feel anything? Why aren't you reacting? And then she has like a big reaction moment later on in the show.
1: Because she's like, "I I grieve differently, bitch. Well, right.
0: I was like, is it that? Or are they trying to set up the fact that we're going to find out she's done something and they're trying to plant those seeds. But what were you, what were you thinking?
1: I did want to mention one thing in particular that did grind my gears and it's the way in which race is not as relevant or as present as I figured and thought it should be. We should say that Betty Gabriel obviously is black. So the character she plays is 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 black. Her husband who's been killed is white, um and their kids are biracial. And so there was she's there's a moment where she's like where the kids are acting a damn fool because they're grieving and they're doing what they doing and you know I wanted the the black mama to jump out mm. and it it didn't jump out enough for me. Uh, And not early enough. You know, and not early enough for me. And there was really only one moment that they had that kind of, you know, you can't do what these white motherfuckers are doing type of conversation. But she never said, but never mentioned black, never mentioned white, never mentioned, just was like, you can't do what she does type of energy. And that felt like a missed opportunity to me, especially in a movie where so many people, In this world that Betty Gabriel and her kids exist in, are white folks, and they're the Mm -hmm. only black folks in that entire world, and it it just was it wasn't it wasn't touched on, and so that was something that was like odd to me. But I did I did like it. I found I found the ending to be anticlimactic. And however you say that word, y'all know I be fucking up words. Anticlimactic. Climactic.
0: I, first of all, the race piece of it, um, there's a moment when uh, Pia takes them to the the police station or takes Ethan to the police station. And she's like, you can't just take these black kids to the the police station or something like that. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But I did not think the ending was anticlimactic. I was so excited by the finale. I literally had to stop it three different times. It was a hybrid, by the way, because I was not breathing. I was like, (gasps) like... (laughs) I was so it was the weed speaking, okay, I don't know why you're talking about twenty milligrams, but it was <laughs> I was watching it, and like I was like gagged, like my mouth was hanging open for a long period of time. I had to stop because so much was happening that I had to process. I love the finale. we're not gonna give away what that is because our producers have not seen this show, but the finale is just I loved it, I thought it was so great, unexpected, and if you. If you watched that finale and said like, oh, I saw that coming, you're a goddamn lie.
1: I will say I did not see the moment you are talking about in the finale. I did not see. What
0: the answer is, the finale episode, yeah.
1: Right. I did not see that coming. But and when I say anticlimactic, I don't mean that. I mean the very last scene of the show.
0: I will say that the last scene that you did not appreciate, the very last scene, I loved it because it kept my attention until the very last second of the show but it is what it is. Okay, go check out Clickbait, or if you're, you've are you listened this far, we did not give away the ending, so you're welcome. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into Fanta first. What does that mean? We'll explain it coming up. We're going to get back to the show in just a moment, but first, everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by right now. Enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. Hmm. That was for the listener who loves when I do it because you hate it. It's fine. (laughs) Gypsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. They release new content every week. So there's always more to explore, no matter who you are or what turns you on and if you need to wind down <laughs> dipsy also has wellness sessions sensual bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you dripped off i told you Serena's jackson has new episodes um of his series you know him from insecure but now there's all kinds of different things coming from new dipsy they have a new newsletter that's called notes from the nightstand Here's your homework. They got all kinds of shit. I think Dipsy is so fantastic. And for our listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D I P S E A Stories.com slash Fanti. That's dipsystories.com slash fanti.
1: And now back to the show. Ew. Ow. Oh, we both said ow. Is that weird? You're weird.
0: All right, welcome back to Fantae Beautiful People. This week, we wanted to talk about the trailblazers, the waymakers, the firsts. We often celebrate on this show... And in places all over, the first black woman to do a thing, the first black CEO of a Fortune 500 company, the first, the first, the first. Then, a lot more lately than in the past, there's always the conversation that gets mentioned, but mostly gets passed over. It's usually something like, well, now how in the hell is this the first black person to do something like this? We don't usually have a lot of space to talk about the downside of all these people who are traversing uncharted territory. So we wanted to do that today.
1: First things being first. First things first, I'm the realist. Drop that and make the whole world feel it.
0: I always want to do that, but it's iggy, so then it feels a little murky, but I love the song.
1: It's fine. I'll do it. Perfect. They're gonna drag me anyway. Thank you. So it's fine. It's all right. Thank you.
0: Um first <laughs> things first, being the realist. Rajan, what's <laughs> been your experience with being the first or the only? Whether it's you know, professional or personal.
1: Um, I mean, I think it's it's it is the expected thing, because I am black and queer and non-binary and a journalist, I'm often the f- the first of sorts in a particular space, like the first trans person in a space, right? And so, like, I'm talking not like those, you know, historical first types that you kind of listed, but also, ju- but just being like a, a regular, degla schmegler individual trying to go to work.
0: No, honey, because Black history is happening every day.
1: But my point, sir is that many of us are firsts in a particular type of space when we just trying to do our jobs, right? We're not first in becoming the first Black vice president, right? Or the first woman vice president, or, you know, those types of of titles and levels. And so for me, I've been the first non-binary person in a lot of spaces, first trans person in a lot of spaces. And that dictates, you know, obviously sometimes how we show up how we're able to move through that particular space Um, and there can be kind of both I think kind of a fan side of things and an anti side of things which I'm sure we'll get into and then I think about how there are now a lot of in media in particular a lot of like first black editors of these types of publications and stuff like that and so that's something that's also swirling in my mind when I think about this but ultimately what I will say is that I think being a first or being the only in a particular space. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It comes with a lot of downsides, as you mentioned, and we'll get into that. But you, you you are a first for real, for real, I feel like. Don't be looking at me like that because I'm, I'm bringing up the Melania situation, right? Like, I feel like that was like a watershed moment and maybe not necessarily like a historical moment, but like... Excuse me? But not like... Don't okay, girl. <laughs> I, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like before that moment, many people in the media were like struggling to figure out how to cover Donald Trump and how to cover in particular his and his campaign's lies and shit like that. And then I feel like your moment happened, and then it was like, oh, so we could call out when these motherfuckers is lying or you know, plagiarizing or 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 whatever. yeah, in in
0: our production meeting, you said I was the first black journalist to point out that thing, and I was like, let me point out one thing, my dear Amand.
1: This is why I can't do the show.
0: I am not now, nor have I ever been I'm a Las, Las Vegas, Vegas showgirl.
1: Girl. I, I am a
0: headliner.
1: I hate you so much for that.
0: No, I mean that moment was it was interesting to me because I, I was intrigued by the way that black folks embraced it differently than everyone else, right? Like black folks are always like, Oh, thank you so much, baby. When I meet black people um in those <laughs> moments. But like I know that for myself, I've often been like the only something right like at my first job i was the only high school student there working at the radio station i've been the only black person the only man the only black man the only black queer person the only queer person whatever and like i, I think what you said was really really important about it the downside being the the pressure that comes with that and we will definitely talk about that a little bit later can but- i ask
1: a quick question though what? Is there a difference between being a first and being an only?
0: I think that they're very similar right oftentimes being the only means that you might be the first and don't even know it right Mm -hmm. but also i think being the only whether you're the first or not comes with all of this representative baggage i have to represent for these people because if i don't i'm worried that someone else won't get the chance or you are uh, leaned on to represent an entire community well what do black people think about this what are the black people saying about this thing i'm sure that there's been like well what do the queer people think what do the trans people think what are the non-binary people think and it's like i can't tell you what all non-binary people think like i'm not a representative of the entire community that kind of thing i think comes with being the only and i'm sure it also comes with being the first but i'm sure that there's distinction between the two of them
1: interesting yeah okay you can proceed
0: thank you um your honor (laughs) <laughs> and so I want to get into the fan and the anti. We'll be very honest here. The fan is kind of obvious. We'll touch on this and then get into the anti. But like I will always take the opportunity to celebrate some excellent blackness when it is a part of the headlines, right? When someone black has done something really dope. I'm always really excited about that. We'll probably give it an honorable mention or black history is happening every day. The other thing that I love about it is like the life-changing significance that a moment like that can have for whomever that person is. I remember when Shakari Richardson when she had that record-breaking moment, right, I remember thinking like, oh, that is going to be really great for her in a lot of ways. Now, mind you, it also comes with a lot of challenges and Shakira has been interesting since then. But, like, I'm always really excited for what it can do for that person. So I, I enjoyed that. What about you?
1: So I think we should say part of the inspiration for this conversation was a few weekends ago when Nia DaCosta's film Candyman, it was announced that it was number one at the box office and it was the first time that a Black woman directed movie had debuted in the number one spot. Um, And you texted me like, ah. Her, but are you kidding me? Yeah. And in that vein, I like. When a first happens, mainly because now there is an example mm. for somebody out there, right? And I think for me, having been what seems like being the first trans person, at least the openly trans person, first openly non-binary person in some of the spaces that I find myself in, I did not have that example. I did not have that possibility model. Like I had to, you know, cobble together some things and make it work. And now I feel like now that I have been in so many different places, I've done so many different Different things, all of the non binary queer motherfuckers coming behind are interested in doing the types of things that I have done will be able to say, oh, Travell did it. So like, it's possible, right? Because oftentimes we're just like clamoring to figure out, you know, how we accomplish the things that we accomplish. So I think of that when I think of like positive things when it comes to first, how representation, you know, it does matter to an extent and how that can be very kind of illustrative for a lot of folks. And then I think of the folks who are able to, and this isn't the case for everyone, but the folks who are able to like spin or flip being a first into something that like has like financial dividends down the road how being the first black person to do something that will forever be your title and you can you can tour the worldwide being the first black person to have done something and make some money off of it now on the flip side there are many people who are first who aren't able to write you know spin it into you know some sort of financial benefit but those are the things that most Immediately come to mind for me when I think about what being a first could could do or could could be like. Because Nia DaCosta now will have even more opportunities because people will be able to say and she'll be able to say that my movie that I directed was number one at the box office.
0: Right. Right. And I was the first one to do that. Okay. So let's get into the meat and potatoes, the the anti here, because I feel like there's so many parts of this that are really frustrating to me when we think about
1: the folks that Yeah, child. He wrote a whole a whole journal entry in this script, y'all. You done for now.
0: Um <laughs> I I always think it's ultimately a bit infuriating <laughs> and not in a way that is like stop doing this, but more in a how has it taken this long kind of way when we see a headline that this person is the first Black woman to have a number one movie at the box office. Or before that, it was Ava DuVernay was the first Black woman to get a film with a $100 million budget. budget. Or even if we take it outside of entertainment, right? If we're looking at Kamala Harris, whom you mentioned... She being the first, you know, woman of any color, right, to make it as vice president. And those kinds of things, they really, really center for me the way that cis whiteness has been like the main focus of this country. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. It's also frustrating to me because it's not as inspiring as it could be because you have to think about how extraordinary that person usually has to have been or how extraordinary the circumstances had to have been for said first person to get X thing. Right. Like Kamala Harris becoming the first woman of color to be vice president came on the heels of donald trump's presidency right like mm. it was a catastrophic presidency that required the possibility for a Kamala harris in the same way that like a relatively at the time catastrophic presidency of george w bush ushered in the opportunity for barack obama to be able to do that and so like if we're thinking about it through that lens it's like God damn, like, white people have to see some shit really go down from a political perspective to be able to see, like, the value and the possibility of a person of color being able to do something. Mm. That is really, really frustrating to me. And even if we use the Nia DaCosta model back into media, Nia DaCosta getting to do that film was because, I would imagine, Jordan Peele is the person executive producing it. And Jordan Peele had to become what he became after doing Get Out and Us and things like that. Like... Jordan Peele had to, like, build all of this cultural cachet, if you will, to be able to say, I want this person to do this. And, like, the studio executives then have to say yes to him because it's Jordan Peele and he has a track record. Does that
1: make sense? Yes, it makes sense. It does make sense. I guess I'm thinking about... So, for me, I feel like those political examples you pulled and the entertainment examples... They're slightly different for me. The absurdity of them are slightly different for me. And I think it's because... Well, so first and foremost, I want to say on the Nia DaCosta example, one of the things I hate when we have conversations about these first situations, it often removes and is void of of necessary context Mm. that I think is important to say. So, like, for example, Nia DaCosta is the first Black woman director to have uh, uh, her movie land number one at the box office. But it is not the highest grossing film by a Black woman director, right? And how, you know, box office stuff is related to what other movies are out there. And so that distinction, if I'm not mistaken, goes to Ava DuVernay for A Wrinkle in Time for the highest opening weekend. And so that's something that I take issue with when we're having these conversations. But I find it more absurd in an entertainment context to me because of how much culture and entertainment is rooted off the backs of Black folks and brown sure. folks, for that matter. When you... And when I think of, like, who's going to movie theaters, who's spending money on entertainment, um, while, yes, there's a lot of white folks doing that, there are significant segments of communities of color that end up being very important blocks, audience blocks, when it comes to, to these um, these types of movies. And so if we all can agree that Black culture in particular is like the foundation of what we understand to be culture, what we understand to be kind of uh, the products of this entertainment ecosystem. And then now to only have had a Black woman directed film get that, that title, that feels more absurd to me as opposed to the, the the political contact.
0: The distinction that you make there, I think actually relates back to politics even better because like, there's this whole conversation about the way that Black folks have always been the ones that made America live up to its promise, right? Like mm. America was founded in this idea of, you know, all men are created equal, which is flawed in many different ways, right? But like all men are created equal, but everybody ain't got the right to vote. How does that work? Right. Like, and black folks had to like push that and women had to push that. And oftentimes black women had to push that. Right. And, and then like, we've seen the ways that black folks have had to make this country live up to its promise. And then like, it's still taken until Barack Obama in 2008 to become president of the United States, or it still took until Kamala Harris in 2020 to get elected. Right. And so like black folks have always had like such an important Part of the political conversation in America, but like have still had to fight for representation, even after like, if we're thinking about reconstruction and all those different times, right? Where you get a little bit of the piece of the pie and they take it back, or, you know, you get a huge part of the electorate, right? But then they ignore you or something like that. so. That is
1: similar in this way. I think about the pressure that comes with being a first of anything. And you spoke a little about this earlier about how, you know, sometimes you're you're the person expected to speak for all Black people or speak for all queer people or all Latinx people or whatever the case may be. So I always go back to when I have conversations like this, I always go back to that um that scandal scene I think it's first season maybe second season don't get me lying about which season but the scene between Kerry Washington and um, Joe Morton did I not raise you for better how many times have I told you you have to be what you have to be what twice what twice As good. Twice as good as them to get half of what they have. That puts so much pressure on you to, like, not fuck it up, right? And, like, I'm thinking in this moment of all of the situation going on with um, Alfonso David, I believe is his name, the current executive director. Well, he was fired. Executive director of the uh, HRC. He was the first black person in that role when he was hired in that role two years ago. And now... There's all the drama with him and Cuomo and now he's been fired from that role. And I said to one of my friends the other day, how long will it take for another black person to get that role?
0: Right. Like it'll either be the next person because they're like anxious about putting another white person in there and what that looks like. Because the other piece of what I was going to say earlier is like how extraordinary the Black person has to be or how extraordinary the circumstances have to be for them to get that opportunity. But then there's also the element of, like, how many mediocre white people have done these jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, a hundred times. I think about George W. Bush often in this situation, right, if we're using politics. George W. Bush is as mediocre a white man as you can possibly be, right, (laughs) who ascended to the highest heights (laughs) of this country. No shade. I I mean, George W. Bush was, like, as mediocre as you can be a C student with a rich daddy who was very well connected, strung out on drugs, all kinds of stuff in his, in his earlier years. Right. Which doesn't make him a bad person, but he's certainly not an extraordinary one. Right. And like how many times have extraordinary black people had to come in and replace mediocre white people who have really fucked up something. Cause Donald Trump is the same thing. Donald Trump is a mediocre white man who had a white daddy with a lot of money who gave him that money to invest or do something with and did fuck with it right like was bankrupt five and six times and does not have the money that he says he has and has lied his way through everything and like became president of the fucking united states right barack obama is a harvard graduate with who's a constitutional scholar, you know, all of these kinds of things. And like, we think about that. We had that same cor- conversation around Michelle Obama and Melania Trump and like how extraordinary you have to be, right? Mm-hmm. And going back to the Joe Morton quote that you talked about, you have to do twice as much to get half as far. And so that is really, really frustrating to me as well. I also, kind of to the point that you were making, I don't like the pressure that it puts on the person to then have to succeed and also exceed expectations that they have to be this magical negro or the magical trans person or the magical queer person or whomever it is like they have to come in and be a transformative force right they can't come in and just keep things going (laughs) right because then it's not you know they're not a headliner honey they're a showgirl
1: we also need to note the ways in which these, you know, quote-unquote magical folks are brought in, but how the systems that they are brought into don't make it any easier for them to be transformative, for them to be the magical Negro or whatever that we're, you know, sometimes brought in to be. And so not only then do you have to be extraordinary, but you also still have to fight against all of these isms and obias that would rather see you not be extraordinary, right? So it's not just the fact that we've, we're we brought in to, to shift things. Because oftentimes, we're not brought in to actually shift things. That part. We're brought in to be a face, right? We're brought in to make it look like a change is happening. And it makes me think about every time, particularly, I'm thinking about, you know, how after, uh, what is it, the summer racial reckoning that everybody called, the you know, 2020, how... A number at newspapers and magazines, a number of the top editors are now Black folks, right? And it's the first time, or even, or in some cases, the second time in the history of these hundred years old publications, in some instances, where a Black person is in that top space. But knowing the ways in which they still have to fight against and deal with the... <laughs> The racism, the white supremacy, the the anti-blackness that pops up in the foundation that is the, this media and journalism ecosystem makes me always think about like just how difficult of a job it is to not only get the promotion that you were long deserving prior to this moment of white guilt, but to get the job in this moment of white guilt and then to always have to contend with whether or not you're doing it the way they think you should be doing
0: it. Well, I think that's such a good point, right? And that crosses over from politics to entertainment and media to the corporate world and all of these different things. I think about Kevin Merida, who's the new executive editor at the Los Angeles Times, right? He's the first Black person to have that role. And when you talk about, like, the white supremacy that they have to overcome, right... You have to think about what does it do to have decades of a white of a often white man but also a white person in these roles, right? Like what is it set up in the systems Mm -hmm. of the way that a place operates? What is it set up also in the ways that like the leadership underneath that person is structured? If we're thinking about, if we use Kevin Merida or even Barack Obama, the example I was using earlier, right? Barack Obama comes in and becomes the first black president and Michelle Obama is the first black first lady, but like how much of the support around them is not black? right? The people that they don't get to bring in or the people that they do who are the only people who even have um, relevant experience to be able to take cabinet positions because only white people have gotten the opportunity to have those kinds of spaces. What frustrates me also about it, though, is it, it puts a lot of the undue pressure on that person to have to represent, like I talked about earlier. I think about Carrie Washington with Scandal, right? Kerry's t- been talked about a lot because she was the first Black woman to lead a network series in nearly 40 years after um, that girl with Diane Carroll and so like when she took that role Kerry Washington then is like representative of black women on television right mm. Kerry Washington is representative of black actresses and and she then has the the responsibility and also Shonda Rhimes right who who created this show and created the role and all of that but like then there's the responsibility of this show has to hit right <laughs> like this show has to work or it is a model that is shown that is failed right? Because this is the first time we've done this thing and it didn't work. Well, we're not going to do it again. Black Panther is another great example of that, right? Black Panther came in and blew the doors off of everyone's expectations and really kind of opened the doors for a lot more Black things to be able to happen. But if it's not extraordinary, then we have to then we go back to the mediocre white people who were making Paul Blart mall cop, too. Yikes. No shade. I just think it's crazy to me that that exists.
1: Well, I just I want to do two quick things. One, if I'm not mistaken, Kevin Merida is technically the second Black person to lead. Turn up. Sorry, Kevin. It gets minor into specific details that don't matter. But, you know, I like to just, you know, be clear. But to your point about the about Black Panther or whatever... There is. I did this story a while ago when I was still at the L.A. Times about like the black films don't travel myth and how it's based in this idea that like black films don't do well and like how a film had to do well in order for there to be more overseas, the overseas, but even domestically, right? But ultimately, you're right that these conceptions of like basically these these products from black folks that have to be super good, super extraordinary, super amazing in order for it to make room for others. The The problem with that, though, is... One, that's not the case. But then two, it doesn't afford us as Black folks the uh, the ability to be mediocre, the ability to be basic, the ability to be bad. And that is what we need to have the opportunity to be. And when we focus or hyper-focus so much on, you know, just the, the first and kind of the weight that comes with that, we don't get to talk about, you know, this pressure. But I also wanted to ask or mention at least, I am often annoyed when I see recognition of the first black person in this role or to do this thing without acknowledging that, like, it's been 100 years and this is fucking absurd. Like, when when a press release comes out that's like, this is the first time a black person has been in this role but the press release don't say, this is a fucking problem.
0: That is such an an important point. Because I think about like Beyonce's Vogue cover, right? Like Beyonce's been doing a lot of these September issues uh, every year now, which I think is a really b-bitch thing to do. I love it. <laughs> Beyonce's Vogue cover was the first time a Black photographer had shot a cover of Vogue. Vogue has been around since 1892. It took y'all 128 years, I believe it was, to have a Black photographer shoot a cover of Vogue? What is that about, right? And so when you think about like the pressure that is then on that person to do well, what on the pressure that is also like a part of that conversation and being like, okay, so who's going to be the photographer next month? Y'all know what all the photographers have looked like that came in before this. It's really frustrating. But then to take that another step forward, we as Black and queer folks often get a lot of attention in these moments and deservedly so. But we also have to appreciate the ways in which Black folks often get a lot of the attention in these moments, and it often takes a longer time for our Latinx folks, our indigenous folks, sometimes for our Asian folks, um, for those opportunities to show up for them eventually, especially when we're thinking about media and representation it's even longer oftentimes for queer and trans people and disabled folks and those kinds of things. And when you think about it that way, it truly, for me, highlights how much of our culture centers on cis white people and oftentimes cis cis white men as the center of the, the whole universe. They take up space in a completely different way. And they have this kind of inherent belief that they should be able to colonize, they should be able to own, they should be able to lead, they should be able to direct, they should be able to president, they should be able to front, they should be able to cover. And they've never really had to look or search or hunt to see themselves represented. We just talked about this case a couple of weeks ago on the show about uh, the executive producer of Jeopardy!, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they would have rather have kept that white man who was disgraced enough that he could not be the host, right? But they were going to hire a minder to work with him and follow him around to make sure that he was not being an offensive asshole rather than fire him, which really highlights to me the ways in which a mediocre white man or a mediocre white person gets the opportunity to fail, right? Fail up and keep your job And then have a system around you to support you in that failure when a Black person who has to be extraordinary, what it takes for them to get that opportunity, right? Like, it's crazy to me.
1: So, as we wrap up, what are the... The needs, the requirements, right, for engaging in like recognizing the firsts when they happen, giving people their flowers for accomplishing whatever they accomplish, but also taking kind of this critical eye at it all at the same time. Like, how does that manifest? I
0: don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I think something that you said earlier is really important that, like, oftentimes it'll be this is the first, you know, X person to do X, but does not provide the context of this magazine has been around for 128 years and we've we've fucked this Mm -hmm. up or it doesn't come with the context of. Nita Costa did this, but it took, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that context is going to be a really important part of the conversation as we move forward, because people have to be able to appreciate, like, not only is this the first Black president, but, like, there were 40 other people in front of him that were, like, great or terrible or mediocre or, or whatever it is. And I think that that context is important because it also will highlight for us, like, white people have had these roles for a long time Where's the indigenous person at, right, that should be able to lead this? I remember thinking, I think it was in 2018, we have the first indigenous person serving in Congress. That is fucking absurd and disgusting, right? Like, this land that was stolen from indigenous people, and, like, they just got their first representation in Congress? That is disgusting and embarrassing.
1: Well, listen, sis, we got lots to be disgusted and embarrassed about, okay? Well, there's that. <laughs> you know, add it to the list. Add it to the list. Add it to the list.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, Jesus.
0: All right. We are going to take a quick break. We would love to know what you think about this. You can tweet or post using the hashtag FantiFam. We'll be jumping in, responding on Twitter and Instagram from FantiPodcast, our accounts, um, and our personal accounts as well. When we come back, Dr. Diet is reading us about something that we did. Don't go anywhere. Fanti is coming right back.
1: We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Kelsey Dara, Open Mike Eagle, and Patton Oswalt. Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. So he was in therapy. Plus, psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for maximum fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, beautiful people. Now we're going to get into our listener feedback segment, your opportunity to tell us all wonderful things. We have a, a rather long email from one of our longtime listeners, um, Dr. Dyett. Um, And so I'm going to read a portion of her email for this segment. So bear with me. Um, y'all know... Y'all know the reading out loud. It's, it struggles because my eyes be, you know, playing games on me.
0: Listen, Dr. Diet, uh, harking back to the, the dissertation days, honey. She came in Listen. with some words.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So Dr. Diet says, It's been it's been a while since I've written in, but I am a still a dedicated listener always. I have had many thoughts about recent shows, though I decided to write in about I do not dream of labor, because it hits everything for me and those I care about right now. Part of the reason I have not written in for a while is because of how tired I am. Without getting into all of the details, I had some ongoing health difficulties that only became worse during COVID. When doctors asked me the obvious question, quote, do you think you have been more stressed due to your work as a psychologist and BLM during the pandemic, and maybe that's making things worse, I want to laugh. Sometimes I do laugh. What does not get discussed enough is how long the wait lists are for therapy, that the insurance system makes it not viable for all people to access it. And there are not only not enough of those of us who are a part of the fringes of oppression who can service folks on the fringes of oppression due to the mediocrity of the medicalized, capitalistic, white centric gendered mental health system. And many therapists aren't afforded the opportunity to rest due to the way this system is structured. My job literally includes teaching teaching. teaching people how to rest, but guess who gets access to that basic right? And because, as you two highlight, this system perpetuates the idea that work is more important than rest and that for black and brown folks, we have to work five times as hard for less. We are stuck in this hamster wheel, either unable to easily access rest due to the nature of this gap and or because we do not believe we deserve to pause to care for ourselves and or in case others important to us are left without care. This is analogous to Travel's example. oh, that's me. I'm throwing up in my mouth just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit left her up in my mouth. I felt it. but go ahead. I hate you so much. This is analogous to Travel's example of helping people out in their family and their life financially, or I as the therapist who struggled for months about taking a month of medical leave to have the time to address my health, which is mental health because of worries about my client's well-being. I might argue that there is a fear of leaving others without care in the same way we wish not to be left without care or the ability to care for ourselves. And this is fueled by a system that actively harms us. We also do not want to be withholding like our oppressors doing the bare minimum for our people, but the boundary between support and sacrifice in the face of rest then becomes blurry around this principle of supporting our own. I... There's so much there.
0: I know this touches on a few things for me, right? So if we think about like how few black therapists there are in therapist care, or whatever that we call that that sphere of, of professionalism. Um it's interesting to me because there are so few black therapists and I wonder like how much of that is because black folks are not used to having therapy, right? Or are not used to having access to it. But then too, like how many folks can like afford to go to school in the way that dr diet has been able to go right like um which you know is not always the case for folks right but then like having access to like a resource to even be able to find the person right because when you're going looking for therapy oftentimes they're not going to be like oh here's our list of black therapists right like white people have this idea that like a white therapist is just as good as anybody else right because white is the default for human Right? And so, like, white people's issues are everybody's issues. But, like, there's not a consideration for what, like, the distinctions are about being a Black person, being a queer person, being an Indigenous person, and how that makes your experience different in the world. That is really, really frustrating for me as well, as I as I think about what she was writing.
1: Well, what I want to nail down on is, like, this point that she brings up about, like, no, being a therapist but feeling like you can't take a break to t- to handle your own mental health because... You got the mental health of 50 motherfuckers, you know, mm. particularly in the middle of a pandemic. And if you are, if you have to be a black or brown or otherwise, you know, historically excluded type of therapist, and your client base represents those communities as well. We dealing with a fucking lot, right? I remember when I when I was seeing Monique, shout out to Monique, hope you're doing all right, girl. When I was seeing Monique, I remember her. She 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 ended up getting a new job. Um, And so she was doing her virtual therapy and the new job. And it ultimately became too much for her to do both. But she mentioned to me that one of the reasons why she continued doing both for as long as she did is because she was concerned about her clients. And she didn't want to, to you know, quote unquote, leave us high and dry, so that she could do this other really great opportunity that she got. And so we've got to figure out something that allows these folks to like take their breaks too, right? And 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 treat themselves too. That was something that stuck out to me most from, um, Doctor Diet's email.
0: I want to remind y'all that Doctor Diet has actually been on an episode of Depression Mode. She's on, actually only on the on my episode of depression mode one of the uh, max fun shows here talking about depression she's been on a couple of episodes over there so dr diet is uh you know become a friend of the network now so um shout out to her um okay let's get into mentions
1: let's do it
0: that's right it's time for the stories or people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or for their stupid travel what you got
1: um, so you did mention that we are recording this episode early so y'all are hearing it a week after we record it but I wanted to mention this I think yesterday from when we were recording it the actor the legendary iconic actor Michael K. Williams passed and you know there have been so many great tributes and memories that folks have shared online um, about him about his work and all of that and his, his history as somebody within kind of the entertainment and media space and so i just wanted to like lift him up he was an actor's actor honey he was always acting okay doing that good acting so i wanted to highlight him first and foremost secondly i wanted to give an honorable mention to the one and only the queen of pop janet jackson come on okay she released janet demita joe jackson okay she released a teaser video for this two part documentary series that she has done in partnership with Lifetime. Now, I don't know why it's on Lifetime. Lifetime gives me a little side eye to it. No shade. Shout out to Michael over there.
0: Michael's not there anymore.
1: Okay. Well, don't shout out to him over there at the end.
0: Michael's at Viacom <laughs> CBS running shit. So, <laughs> oh, he did leave. Yes,
1: he did. I forgot about that. Anyway, but I'm excited for this documentary. Miss Yellia is interviewed in it. Mariah Carey's interviewed in it. A whole bunch of other icons in and of themselves. So I'm looking forward to that. That comes out in January 2022. And then last but not least, I just wanted to highlight this for my film interested folks. Um, the Toronto International Film Festival is currently going on. I believe it will still be going on as you all listen to this episode. So I want to shout out this really cute short. Uh, film that I checked out called The Syed Family Xmas Eve Game Night. It's directed by Fauzia Mirza, and it's a queer Muslim rom-com. It's about 10 minutes. I don't know what they're going to do with it after the film festival, but it's so cute. I wanted to play this clip from its, like, teaser trailer. Okay, baby.
0: Rules. One, no PDA. Yes. Two, help in the kitchen. And three, no sexy skin.
1: Welcome to the Syed Family Xmas Eve Game Night. So cute. Like I said, it's only 10 minutes. Um, If you get a chance to check it out at one of the other festivals that might be in your neck of the woods, please do. Um,
0: uh, In lieu of my honorable mention, I'm going to take it, what I was going to put in my honorable mention, and we are going to use it this week as... Black
1: history is happening every day.
0: I don't know how yeah. you're able to like hold your breath that long. Cause it's a You gotta
1: a, you gotta you gotta do vocal exercises. It's a
0: really long. Day.
1: So now this just reminds me of the AOL dial up. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Um, I want to give a special shout out to my friend, my brother, and friend of our show, Seth Brundle. Seth was on our show called My Brother's Keeper or Knob back last year. Uh, We were talking about straight men and the way that... Straight black men specifically and their engagement in culture. Over the Labor Day weekend, Seth launched his first ever pop-up restaurant. It's called The Seasoning. It's spelled S-Z-N-G. The Seasoning, Mm -mm. uh, Seth converted Mm -mm. his television and social... Mm -mm. What? What
1: you don't like the seasoning? I I don't like that spelling. I'm so sorry.
0: I actually kind of love it. You know, I love to take the 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 vowels out of
1: something. We know, Mister Troublemaking.
0: Um, Seth converted his television and social media following into an IRL experience uh, for people to commentate his food, the recipes that they've seen him making over the years, and enjoy being in the presence of other people. There was great music from DJ Corn Breezy, who was the most thoroughly energetic DJ throughout the entire eight hours of the event. Like. He was at 10, maybe the lowest was like at 8.75. Like he was hyped the entire time. So I appreciated that. I could not be more p- proud of Seth and the team that he built. Um, look out for the next edition of the seasoning. He's got really, really big plans for taking this event to new places as it grows. And I'm just really, really excited for him and proud of you him. You should so. tell
1: the people how to follow him, how to, you know, engage with the virtual version of it.
0: Yes. Um, you can find Seth at Seth Brundle um, on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram. And the seasoning is linked in there as well. I'll make sure to to include that in the notes about this episode. Um, it was really, really dope. And the food was so good. And the vibes were great. It was a, a really great first outing for, for anybody. So I'm excited about that. Um, as we go if this conversation piqued your interest and you want more of this good, good. we encourage you to check out another episode proud to be a black and Jewish American uh, featuring Soraya McDonald it was a really interesting conversation on the Jewish experience through the Black Lens. Um, it was on August 13th of last year, so you can go back and check out that episode. Uh, Soraya has been battling cancer in her story uh, as you as you can watch on social media. She's been going through chemotherapy and a lot of different things since being on the show. Um, so want to keep her lifted up in our prayers and thoughts as well. We thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Let us know what you think about the show. If you have a comment or a suggestion about about this week's show, you can tweet at us um, at Fantae Podcast or the, use the same thing on Instagram at Fantae Podcast. Use the hashtag Fam.
1: And as always, you can send us an email at fanti at MaximumFun.org. And if you would like to become a financially contributing member of the Fanti Fam, you can join the Maximum Fun family at MaximumFun.org slash join. Our music, as always, is brought to you by the one and only Corice. That's C-O-R E-C-E, wherever you get slay the audio and our graphics are done by the folks over at Moonhouse Creative, led by the one and Only Ashley Wen.
0: Our producers this week are Laura Swisher and Lorraine Wheat. Lorraine Wheat. There you go. I think that works. I feel like there might be some more inflection. I don't know. This is a production of Maximum Fun. (laughs)
1: Maximumfun.org.
0: Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. I called you on an evening, not on a morning. Same thing. I just wanted to. Can y'all hear that?
1: Yeah. Shout out to the honking horn outside of Jared's window. I hate it here. I hate it. <laughs>